Welcome to the Child Discipleship Podcast powered by Awana. My name is Melanie Hester, and the conversation that you're about to listen to today is one that you're going to want to come back to. I had the privilege of sitting down with Robert and Lori Crosby, who are both research experts and licensed therapists to have the conversation around adverse childhood experiences and how that impacts the discipleship of the children in our church. And I'm going to spoil it here for a second, y'all. Their revelation is that kids can't love Jesus if they are scared or have a barrier in between where they're at and understanding the love of God. And that's an adverse childhood experience. Here's that conversation. It was about about a month ago now that I stumbled upon, it was on social media, a friend of mine had posted something she was reading, and I was like, huh, interesting, I want to read this book. It was called Trauma-Informed Children's Ministry. And I just need you to know that this book was delivered by, of course, the Amazon man, because that's apparently just how the world works now these days. And I cracked into it that night. And it was maybe just a couple chapters in where I realized that there was something different about this book. And I knew that I had to talk to the authors. And so today we are going to do that. Robert and Lori have significant experience both in children's ministry and also in the mental health world as professionals. And they have written trauma-informed uh, trauma informed children's ministry. I'm going to show this here for you for just a second. You can, I mean, look, you've got my fingerprints because I've literally been reading and flipping through this the last four weeks. So Robert, Lori, thank you for being here. And I'm just thrilled to get this started. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Melanie. We're so honored to be here. Okay. So I just really want to jump into first, this book feels like it crept into the market and it's just kind of slowly being made aware in the different areas. And, um, it's something that I didn't even knew existed until again, I saw that friend post on social media who also happens to work with Awana. So mm -hmm. I guess I just want to ask Robert and Lori, like, let's, can we talk about, and it might be really long. So let's like kind of summarize it, but like, how did you get here? Like, how did you get to launching this book in the children's ministry world as a resource for leaders? That is a long, that's a long story, <laughs> but we will do our best short, short, to we're, shorten it. We're, we're on parallel tracks. So the short version on my side is I've been connected to children's and youth ministry since mm -hmm. the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. And so that's always been on my heart. And, but by, by vocation, I'm a research psychologist. And so my, my research program, so I'm a, a professor at California Baptist University, and my research program has to do with the role of church in nurturing children's development. Is church relevant to children? Can it impact their lives? How does it impact their lives? And so that led through you know, 10 years of, of research uh, building on that. And eventually we, we got to a study where we're looking to see, you know, how, how can churches create supportive environments for kids? How can they help children feel loved and supported and valued in church? And so we were digging into that and looking at practices. You know, what about small group? What about playtime? What about different worship practices? And, and then one of the biggest findings that came out of that was that in general, children who come from a traumatic background who struggle with behavior, they don't feel included in the community. So mm -hmm. they don't feel loved. They don't feel valued. They don't feel like they're part of the church. They don't feel part of the church family because their behaviors have created a barrier that's prevented mm -hmm. them essentially from coming to Jesus. 
And so that launched, uh, we, had, we had grant funding for a lot of this, so a large study, uh, because as we looked, we saw that there were a few churches that were exceptions. So just a handful of churches where they were able to do that. And so I, we went to those churches and we interviewed the pastors, we interviewed the volunteers, we talked to families, we had focus groups with kids, we watched the services. And we were trying to learn everything we could about what these churches were doing right. And so that was turned into an academic article. If you look up trauma-informed children's ministry, there's, um, I think it's in the Journal of Child and Adolescent Trauma, and there's a great scientific summary of that. But the problem is that it doesn't, it's not really accessible to the people doing ministry. So that was a major pivot mm. because uh, we, I mean, it would come, it would come back from these trips and so deeply moved by the story, so deeply moved by the mm -hmm. power of these ministries and the way they were shaping and changing lives. Mm -hmm. And to think that, well, the children's pastors of the world are never going to know this information. I mean, there's so few that would be reading yeah. the journal of child and adolescent trauma. Um, <laughs> yes. Super boring. It was, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get a and, and, and there was a period where people would get their hands on that article and they're trying to apply it, but it yes. really wasn't meant to be applied. Yeah. It was really written as a theoretical piece. Right. And so Lori came to me and she said, like, we've, we've got to, we've got to do a book and we've got to put this in a way that a average children's ministry leader, an average person working in the church can actually use. Yeah. So Lori brought in, if so, you want to say, yeah. yeah. So I am a licensed um, marriage and family therapist and a registered play therapist supervisor. So I have been working with children who've experienced trauma for, uh, I don't know, like 15 years now, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have uh, my own practice um, and Robert did this giant study through like 2019. So he flew all over the United States and South America, come home and he would process with me just mm -hmm. these stories. We'd both be crying. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, in my practice, I was having some of my kids um, that I work with get kicked out of churches because of their trauma related behaviors. Yep which was, I mean, that broke my heart because that's not the father heart of God. And I don't think those children's pastors, that was their heart either. They just weren't equipped. Yeah. They didn't know what to do. Um, and so Robert's learning all this stuff, these stories, doing research. And then I have my own personal and we would just talk. And I really felt God say, hey, yeah. you guys need to team up and write a book. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did in 2020. While the world was hunkered down, we used that time very wisely. <laughs> that was our COVID project. That was our COVID I project. Mean, what an incredible <laughs> use of your time, honestly. Right. That was, right. It was very on theme. It was on theme. The, we were all traumatized. Yeah. And then the goal yeah. was to make it accessible, to take the scientific yes. concepts, to take yes. the research. I mean, you'll see neuro, neurobiology principles, sociological principles, yeah. and psych principles, psychology principles, that take all of that yeah. and present it in a way that's really, really easy to to grasp. I, 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 I would kind of say, uh, sort of tongue in cheek, I want something that someone can sit down on the toilet and just flip through and get stuff out of. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's at a seventh grade reading level. Uh, it's almost like a different language than the academic writing, yes. but I just very wanted, practical, very accessible. Yeah. Just anyone to be able to read it and be able to apply it and influence the way they're working with their kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can't, um, align more with everything you said. Like if that was the outcome of what you hope that a, a reader would walk away with when they're done reading, like a plus, that's exactly <laughs> what I walked away with when I was done reading is that I, I, I had this just deep, just 
just assurance that it was like, there is nothing out there that is equipping leaders today with such intensely practical, here's what you do next. And so that's, I just want to go a thousand feet deep there because I think it's what you stated is that so much of what we see in the children's ministry world is that it can, it can live up here in this really academic theory, which is important. We have to have that to then be able to even have the data to move with. Right. But, but it's hard because children's ministry leaders historically, um, don't have that experience in understanding, interpreting, and then like, laying that into practical next steps. So I think the first thing that I I really want to just sit in is an identification of the leader. All right. Let's just like call it out here. Most of our leaders who are walking through and serving kids in their church on a weekly basis, um, it's almost always going to be volunteer right? If they're a children's director or a pastor, it also could be volunteer, though it's becoming more common that they're either paid part-time or there's there's some that are also full-time. But it's still statistically accurate that most of them do not have upper-level education in children's ministry or any sort of um, leadership that way. And while that's not required... It does set the stage that says that um, they, by nature, tend to be doers and shakers and movers and like, here's this thing, now go get it done. So taking a topic like this and asking them to understand the theory side of it, um, it it requires them to really stop and think. And so I wonder... um, What is it that as leaders, as that, we're taking the image of that leader and we're sitting down and they're reading your book. Um, what is it about the theory that you really need them to latch onto to help inform their practice? What's important about that theory that they need to connect in the things they're going to do to then help the kids in their ministry? Well, the, the foundational theory is contemporary trauma theory is is the term that's used in academia and we'll hear the term trauma informed and essentially what that means is that there's a realization of the prevalence of trauma Mm -hmm. that we understand that this is common Mm -hmm. and that's that's a fundamental misunderstanding many people have in the church as they look at their group and say well i get that in ukraine or i get that where the hurricane was or i get that out there somewhere kids are dealing with this but not my kids yeah and so to recognize that, oh, no, this is very common, and it's an almost certainty that you have a child, even if your group is small, that you have at least one child, if not several, who have trauma in their past. Yeah. Um, from there, it's recognizing, making the, connecting the dots and recognizing behavioral challenges as indicators of trauma. Yeah. So you see, uh, I told the kids to do this, and this kid said no and talked back to me. And to go, wait, before I react to that and say this child's being disobedient, you're on strike two or something like that, saying, wait a minute, maybe there's some underlying feeling here that's motivating this. Perhaps that's connected to a traumatic event that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. And then the the final piece is responding to those type of behaviors in a way that's healing. So we say, okay, you just said no, you're pushing back on me before I get defensive. Mm -hmm. Let me pause and think, what's going on? Is it that this child is feeling a sense of powerlessness and is lacking a sense of control. 
So instead of reacting to that behavior, let's respond to that need and say, okay, before I get into a power struggle and push this issue, maybe I give the child the choice. Mm -hmm. Maybe I stop and try to understand where they're coming from. Maybe I explain why I told why I made that rule so they know I'm not just trying to boss them around. So dignifying the child, validating where they're coming from and responding differently, that's that's the new that's the new paradigm. So that's the trauma-informed perspective. And we overlay spiritual significance to that because we're the hands and feet of Christ. Yes. So unlike a school, unlike a YMCA or sports team or other organizations that are serving kids, we're proxies for Christ. So the way we engage with that child represents to them the way God, the church broadly, and then God himself is engaging with them. So when we're rejecting, that's as though God's rejecting them. When they feel accepted in the church, when they feel understood and validated, they're receiving that as, as Christ validating them and welcoming, welcoming them in. So there's tremendous significance to that. Yeah. Um, it's not just, hey, we're going to get into the mental health field now and we're going to just have churches just help with medical needs because we can. It's we're confronting and tearing down barriers that prevent kids from coming to Christ. Yeah. So these are all things that all of us have experienced in the church, right? I, those are such great practical examples of either the, the child who's kind of distanced themselves and just refuses to participate or yeah. the child who is just, their behavior is so much more blatant and um, what can feel like um, just stubborn. I'm like, no, I'm not yeah. doing that. You can't mm -hmm. make me, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and yet, so I, I want to sit though in a, a place where how do you know that that's always trauma, you know, like often that some of those behaviors can stem from other things as well. And so I guess like, how do you know that that's coming from trauma? And, and maybe I'm even going to go back even further and ask, like, does it matter whether it's coming from trauma or whether it's coming from something else? Like how do we as leaders navigate knowing that we are not the experts in identifying what's going on behind the behavior? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the good news is we don't have to know. Mm -hmm. Also, sometimes we don't get to know. Mm -hmm. But what you had just said, we we don't we don't need to go around diagnosing children with PTSD. Yeah. Um, right. Trauma informed strategies are best practice for every yeah. single child, whether Love they have that, trauma yeah. or they don't have trauma. This is best practices. That. I think it's key. And I really want to stop here for a second to say that is that what you're presenting to us is not that this is specific to the children who have experienced trauma, but that actually this is beneficial for all children, Absolutely. but that helps to go back to what you said at the beginning, Robert, it helps to include the children who have experienced trauma. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Hmm. So to include them, Let's dig into, you lay out in the book in a really beautiful way, four key things that children need to be able to participate and, and um, just engage. Um, they are that children need to feel safe. Children need to feel regulated. They need to be regulated. They need to feel connected and valued. How did you land on those four things? Let's, let's talk about that. Good question. Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, one of the big goals of the book, right, was to present things simply. Mm -hmm. And this is a complicated topic. And so we, 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 um, but here, here was the kind of the, the flow of it. 
is trauma affects kids in a number of ways. So you could look at a you know, a giant map of potential uh, symptoms related to complex trauma. And so we started there and kind of grouped them mm -hmm. into the inverse of those categories. So fear, trauma makes kids feel afraid. Trauma makes kids feel dysregulated, which just means out of control of your mind, body, or emotions, mm -hmm. makes kids feel rejected or disconnected mm -hmm. and makes them feel worthless. And that could be feeling like I don't matter. I'm incompetent. I'm powerless. And so that affects their brain, that affects their behavior. And so to create the conditions for healing means to reverse that. Yeah. So we're going to do the exact opposite of how they're feeling. So if they're feeling afraid, we're going to help them feel safe. If they're feeling dysregulated, right, they're feeling out of control of, let's say, their emotions, we'll take steps to help them feel in control of their emotions. Um, if they're feeling rejected, we want to help them feel included and loved. And if, and if they're feeling worthless, we want them to feel valued. And to, to broaden it, like Lori was pointing out, this is best practice for everyone. It's not trying to single out, say, okay, well, um, you know, Nathan over here has a traumatic past and he feels this way. So I'm going to give him extra grace because he deserves it because mm -hmm. he had trauma. And I'm going to give him special, special treatments, not the right word. I'm going to be particularly conscientious about helping him feel, you know, accepted and included, but not really worry about the rest because they don't have trauma, they're fine. So instead it's creating a ministry environment that creates these conditions for healing for everyone. Yeah. And even if a kid who doesn't quote unquote need it, you know, they could show up and they would be fine even if the church environment really wasn't terribly supportive, they're still going to thrive. And everyone's going to be more successful. And then most critically are the kids who otherwise wouldn't be there. Otherwise they wouldn't have access to the cross. And now we're creating that access. What uh, this phrase just popped into my mind. I, I'd, I'd love to hear how you respond to it. It sounds like what you're saying is that we're not here and this isn't a framework for intervention. It's actually a framework for elevation for mm. everyone who's participating. And what's so unique about that is that it connects with so much of what Awana has been studying over the last decade and that we've um, found through a number of our own research projects that we've commissioned over the last decade, which is that um, in order for a child to come into a lasting faith with Jesus, they need to be to they need to be able to belong to mm. Jesus. They need to know that they belong to a community of faith. They need to believe yeah. in Jesus and in his word. And then they need to become more like him. Mm. Yet we intentionally, let's sit in that belong piece. Like yeah. that's what you're talking about here, mm. right? Is that how does a child who comes into an environment where they feel unsafe, they feel dysregulated, they don't feel like there's anybody that understands what they're walking through or who they are, which then leads to like, what value do they bring to this space that they currently occupy? Like that then becomes a barrier for them being able to believe in Jesus. So how, how do leaders understand that? Like, this is, while belief in Jesus is obviously that moment where they, all of this leads up to that. But like, how do you help leaders really lock into that? Like one of the most important things you can be doing is help children belong in your community of faith. From, um, from a psychology perspective, from a trauma informed perspective, relationship is the foundation. Yes. So it's been said that relationship is the 
trauma-informed strategy yeah, or when absolutely. we talk about discipline challenges we'll we'll stop and and say okay if you have a child who's struggling before you even get into what's the best way to discipline them is there someone in the ministry who has a close trusting relationship with them and if you can't identify that person you you don't have a behavior problem you have a relationship problem so from a psychological perspective yeah. this is foundational to the child being able to heal and being mm -hmm. able to be successful mm -hmm. But it's foundation. It's, it's scriptural, right? Isn't that you know, sin is what disconnects us from God? It's what disconnects us. It breaks relationship with each other and breaks relationship with God. And so, the the ministry, the gospel, is restoring those relationships. And so, it's foundational to the work of the church to repair and restore and reconcile. And that's that's really what we're doing when we yeah. when we respond when we understand and respond to those behaviors as as Christ would from both a trauma-informed perspective and I think as a from a Christian perspective. Yeah. How do we embrace them and then walk them on the journey of discipleship and healing? So that's a common misconception some folks will have the first time they're engaging with this is, oh, you're you're gonna just excuse and put up with this bad behavior and we can't do that. That's sin. And you're gonna excuse sin. And that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. It's that we're going to provide them a structure that's actually gonna help elevate them from those from those behaviors. We're going to meet the needs that are underlying the bad behaviors, and we're going to have relationship. We're going to coach them on the journey yes. so that over time we see this long-term heart change. So people want to focus on punishment and even reward, which is controlling, which is about short-term behavior change. And so this is messy. This is, oh, it pulls on your heart. So it's, it's challenging and it takes a long time for some kids. I and mean, we're talking it could years. be years and years and years. I mean, it could be a multi-year journey, yeah. um, but we're going for lasting, long-term life and heart change. Not well. In this moment, I got the kid to stop talking back, or, you know, or I got this kid to sit over where I wanted him to. It's not about that. Yes, I mean, there's there's this piece that I do think we've all grown up with, and I remember this as a kid too, where it was like. Like, uh, I think we've all heard like, do this because I said so. And while there's some yeah. areas there where, where parents have different, you know, avenues of what that looks like, that doesn't have a place in the church, um, for a number of different reasons. But the first is so that we can understand like, Hey, we we're here for a reason and it's for you to experience the deep, never ending love of Christ. And in order for you to do that, we're going to get to know you as a, in your heart as a child of his, right? And so thank you for putting that so beautifully is that this isn't about like a disrespect issue. This is, this is about, um, connecting to that heart of uh, the connecting to the heart of that child and, and better understanding how Jesus might step into that space and wrap them up in a child appropriate hug, but let's be real. It's Jesus. He's going to do it however he wants to and, and just love and restore and renew them. I love that so much. Um, so you brought up the concept of, of discipline. And I think, um, this is one of the things that winds up being something we don't talk about because it's like, well, it's like one extreme or the other, Either I need the kids in my group to adhere to this set of rules that I've created, or like, it's just going to be a free for all because I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I don't know who has what, and I don't want to mess that up for anybody. Um, so let's dig into discipline. Like what have you found in your research? And let's talk about some of those things that you've written in the book um, mm -hmm. and how a, a leader might be able to create opportunities for 
order while still not um, casting that negative light of um, maybe misinformed discipline on the child. There's a long journey before we get to discipline. And what I mean by that is the first thing we need to do is make sure our context is developmentally appropriate and it's meeting the needs that we've outlined. Kids are feeling safe, regulated, connected, and valued. Most of the time when we have a discipline issue, and, and the clue is going to be you have multiple kids struggling. I mean, unless your ministry context is something really, and you're working with a group and everyone in the group is traumatized, this really high risk setting, but in a typically developing group, if you've got a majority or half the kids who are struggling, the problem is you, your program is not working for them. And so we, we have a checklist in one of our, one of our workshops, you go through kind of an order of importance. Do the kids feel physically and emotionally safe? Do they feel regulated in these ways? And you can go down the checklist. And then when you hit a no, then you stop and spend time there and getting your program to into a more supportive place. That's 80% of your discipline issues Yeah, is right there. So we walk into a context, most of the time it's, well, they're being disruptive during teaching. Well, tell me about that or I'll observe that. And they're asking the kids to sit down and listen for 20 minutes. And most kids can't do that well. And some can fake it, but a child from trauma or even children are not necessarily from trauma can't do that well. It's just not developmentally appropriate to ask that of them. So that's the first piece from their relationship. Yeah. That gives you the, you said something interesting. You said, well, do this because I said, so it doesn't have a place in the church and yes and no, because when you know and trust someone, like if God says something, we say yes, because he said so, <laughs> because we know him and trust him. And that actually is something that you kind of see develop when a child is known and has a relationship with the trusted adult. Trust, yeah. The adult can say, you know, Nathan, do this. Yes, sir. And this kid that won't listen, you may not listen to anybody else. You may just have a meltdown if someone else were to ask, but because they know and trust that person, they believe that they have a good reason for it. Yeah. You know, maybe they say, well, here's why, but, but even without that sometimes, okay, I trust you. You actually, you're the only adult in my life who knows me and cares about me. You're the only adult in my life that I trust. Yeah, I'm going to obey you. And, and then after you've gotten through all of this, you know, so if you look at the book, that's the first eight chapters of 10 chapters It's all of that. Only then do we get to, okay, I did all that. Everyone else is doing well. I went through the checklist. We know this kid. We have relationship and man, he's still struggling. That's the only point where you start to really seriously dig into these types of strategies. Um, and even then, um, we, we advocate for a three-part approach to talk mm -hmm. about this in, in one of our workshops. Yeah. Uh, we call it calm care coach. Mm -hmm. And so calm essentially means that I want to make sure that both myself as the adult or whoever is engaging with the child is calm and that child is calm. And if they're acting out, they're probably not calm. So the first step, and we have, there's lots of strategies for this. We could share if, if you'd like, but lots of strategies to get to that place. But that's our first priority. Let's not engage. Let's not try to discipline or instruct or criticize or punish or any of these things. Um, if you, the child's. Yeah, you can't do it if, if either one of you is emotionally dysregulated. So if a child's in the middle of a meltdown, you can't stand there and lecture them into why they didn't put the ball up when you told them to. It's not possible. So they, they can't. They can't hear it. They can't receive it. And and usually the, the worst case scenario is the adult and the child are both dysregulated. They're both feeling out of control emotionally. And then it's this explosive combination. Yeah. So that's our first piece. Care 
the priority from there is letting the child know that you you care for them mm-hmm. and you understand them. Mm-hmm. So listening to their point of view, the just the just, hey, so I noticed you were having trouble pay, paying attention during small group. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Everything okay? Like what's going on? Just just walk me through that. So very non-judgmental, matter of open, fact. Open, asking mm-hmm. open-ended mm-hmm. questions. Yeah, sometimes it's going for a walk. I mean, it depends on the situation, but letting them know that you care about them and you're not accusing them or judging them. It's it's let me understand. Mm-hmm. And, and validating and, the emotion, mm-hmm. depending on what the child says, like sure. hearing the emotion yeah. underneath it and just being like, well, I can understand getting mad about that yeah. or feeling scared that your ball was going to be taken away or somebody else would take it. Maybe that's your only ball that you have, whatever the situation mm-hmm. is, like hearing that emotion and just making the emotion okay. Emotion's not good, bad right mm-hmm. or wrong it's just an emotion they it comes and goes that it's so powerful being present mm-hmm. with somebody in their emotion and, and nine out of ten times there's going to be some explanation that comes out that changes your heart yes uh so you know i think of an example um this happened after i'd written the book and, and that's exactly his kid was just goofing around during small group was being disruptive he wasn't listening and then afterwards just pulled him aside and say hey um, I noticed you were having a hard time concentrating today. Is everything okay? And very quickly it came to find out that he was dealing with these, this horrific bullying that was going on at school. And the kids were, I mean, just horrifying things that were being said and done to him. And he said, all I could think is Sunday. All I could think about is what's going to happen tomorrow when I get to school, what are they going to do to me tomorrow? Yeah. And you know, so my entire orientation towards this child has, has shifted. He's not a disruptive kid that you are making it hard for me to do what I'm supposed to do. You were being disrespectful to the group. It's, oh man, this kid is really hurting. And then, but we don't leave it there either, right? We can care and minister to them, but we don't just say, okay, well, you can just disrupt small group because you're struggling at school. Now there's what we call the coaching piece. Mm-hmm. And so this is teaching them this is walking with them and getting them to a place that their behavior is um, in line with really who they are and where they want to be all kids want to do well this is something people misunderstand or don't understand is this kid like this kid just wants to give me a hard time or this kid um, he's doing this on purpose and the reality is there is no kid who wants to be bad there's no kid who wants to be in trouble Um, there's no kid who wants to have that reputation And so every kid will do well if they can. And I like to compare it to a, um, you know, like a basketball player, right? If a kid joins a basketball team, they don't have the skills and techniques. They don't even understand the rules necessarily. So you teach them the rules. And once they understand it, Mm -hmm. you have to practice. Mm -hmm. So you can understand, oh, the ball's supposed to go through the hoop, but it doesn't mean you can automatically start making the shot every time. Like you practice, you want to. I mean, every kid on the basketball (laughs) team would love to make every shot. That would be great. So it's the same way. They would love to do well at church and everywhere else every time. That would be fantastic. They get the goal in many cases once we've explained it, but they need the coaching. Here, what do we do in this situation? So we come into small group and this is how you're feeling. Um, what can we do? How can we handle this differently? Or, or this this other kid, this thing happened and you were, they took your ball. How do we handle this? Maybe they need more support. You're aware of a trigger. So you step in more quickly. Maybe you prevent the situation from happening. If that kid's playing four square and no one's observing, Something about that's going to trigger them. It's going to be a fight. So maybe we lead them to the direction or maybe I'm there playing too. And when I start to see the kid getting upset, I can, I can veer this off and coach them through that. So, so that's a different orientation. We're not assuming that they, they want to be bad. We're not assuming that they can even necessarily do what we want them to do yet, but, but we do want them to get there. It's, it's not 
forget the expectations. You can do whatever you want. It's I'm going to give you the support you need to meet the same expectations of the other children. Robert, what was really interesting that I want to go back to for a second that you just mentioned was that in one, you identified that often in that moment of frustration where we're wanting to lean into that discipline space, both we as leaders and the children are some sort of dysregulated. Yeah. And I love the hard stop of like, don't ever do anything if either one of you are dysregulated because it just, it's not going to be beneficial in any terms. And that is, that is something that I think we underestimate that in that moment we are dysregulated too. And it's not going to benefit anybody. And I'm not sure that that's a framework that I tend to think through, which is that like, Mm -hmm. not only am, not only are they not in a place because I can get there where it's like, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. They're not in a place, but actually I'm not in a place to have that conversation with them. And that is really important. Yeah. Yeah. It's just simple neurobiology. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You might not be the right person to handle it just because you were the one that was in the, in the point of engagement. If you know you're upset, I mean, hopefully we should all be working in teams. Maybe it's, Hey, um, Becky, help. I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to go over here and help so-and-so. Could you engage here? Um, you know, some kids have consistent issues. If they have that one special person, maybe it's getting them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've worked with kids before where there's just, we all just know, like if this kid's struggling, get Robert. Don't try to discipline this child or you're going to have a, a, a power struggle. It's going to go poorly and just get me and he's going to immediately listen and it's going to be fine. And some people get prideful. Well, he needs to be able to listen to anyone. Well, that would be great. And hopefully we'll get there, but this is not the reality. Mm-hmm. All you're going to do is, is cause friction. You're going to rupture the relationship and you're going to drive this kid away from the church. That's all you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he sure. Ideally he would listen to any adult. That's what we want from everyone, but we're not there yet. So we, I think a lot of it is our pride and that kind of feeds into the dysregulation. Really yes. You yes. are disrespecting me. You, there's this like, yes. you need to language. This right. child needs to. Because listen. I'm an adult. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's very prideful. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, and, and that's maybe how we grew up. That was the expectation as well. The adult talked and mm-hmm. I need to do it said, and the, this is not the way it was yeah. 20 years ago. You know, yeah. things, things have changed and this is such a prevalent issue that we need different strategies. And, it, some people look at it and they'll say, this feels, you know, too, I've heard the wimpy use, like, seems like, is it kind of wimpy? Isn't, you know, just, you know, discipline. And um, I'm like, well, it works. That's the thing is, okay, it can seem whatever, but it works. And what you're doing doesn't work. It makes things worse. Yeah. So let's just, you know, and, and, and there's arguments about sin. Is it, is the child sinning when they do this? And if it's trauma related, is it still sin? We get in this really esoteric theological conversation. I'm like, yeah. well, if it's sin, yeah. this is what will help them stop sinning. Yeah. If right. it's not sin, this will help them be successful. Use what language you want, but either like, way. Regardless, this, the solution is the same. <laughs> right? We're going to take this. Approach. Get on board and do it. Come it, on, guys. It almost <laughs> always works. You know, every, every, every case is, is, is unique, but. I mean, this is what we use as parents. You know, it's just this all in our church and our situation with each other where it applies to adults. Uh, <laughs> it does. <laughs> when you do it, it almost always works. It makes things better. So let's just do it and not get hung up on, you know, well, should it be this other way? What I love that you're doing there is saying, hey, leader, this isn't about you. 
And I think that's what we can do with behavior is we can take it personally because uh, let's again, call out the investment that the leaders are making into showing up every week. You know, you've mentioned it, Robert, where um, the, the research and data around having that you know, we call it a loving, caring adult in the yeah. framework of the three B's. You know, you called it just some an influential adult who that a child can trust. Like, but when you have that loving, caring adult, what that unlocks in the life of a child for being able to better understand their faith and to be able to love Jesus, like that makes all the difference in the world. But also it's not about what they're saying about what you've prepared. It's not about they're not yeah. trying to offend you. They're not trying to make you feel less valued because they're not wanting to pay attention in small group or they're not listening to the Bible story that you've prepared. Yeah. Or let's be real. Sometimes we actually come in less prepared than we'd like to be. Right. But there's still <laughs> that level of it's not about us exactly. and their behavior has when we like it, their behavior has nothing to do with us. And when we can disconnect the personal offense from what we're experiencing with that child, then we can take our eyes, like you said, Robert, and focus in on. So what is this child telling me? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think there's something more going on that I need to unpack and figure out what's going on. Yeah. And, And what are we here to do? Like zoom out, did I, did I, cause you're volunteering your, it's a sacrifice. Are you sacrificing Absolutely. your time with family or your time of rest? Uh, whatever that is, are you sacrificing your time of worship, you can come yeah. to church, your time exactly. of worship so that yep. Nathan can sit in that blue chair on this side where he's supposed to be yep. and listen to something or you're there to minister yep. to kids. And if a yep. child is acting out, they're telling you not just, you're not just communicating a feeling, but it's like something's wrong mm-hmm. and that it's a flag it's like, you know, sometimes like, you know, the Holy Spirit puts a person on your heart. You walk in a situation and God leads you in a certain way. You can almost think of it like that, exactly. except it's not subtle. Yeah, right. So the kid <laughs> talks back to you and, or is having this terrible attitude. Mm-hmm. And, and it, just think of it like the Holy Spirit saying, this child needs an extra touch from Jesus this morning. These other kids are, you know, they're, they're maybe doing okay. Now there's other ones you may not know about, of course, and we can talk about that, Sure. but with absolute certainty, this child needs a touch from Jesus this morning. This is why you came. And so let's like zoom out. This isn't about this, this, you know, lesson plan. Uh, but how can we share God's love with this kid in a tangible way? We talk about the implicit gospel Mm -hmm. and sometimes kids learn more about the gospel from how we treat them than, uh, through the lesson through them sharing a Bible verse. So in that moment, stopping or engaging or doing something different to meet this, this child's needs is going to teach them who God is, is going to teach them what it means to be part of the church. And now they're going to walk yeah. out of the church knowing I'm loved. The church is a safe place. God loves me. Yep. And eventually they're going to grow up. And when they think back to this time, I'm always think I've, I've known kids for, I've worked with kids so long. I know plenty of kids I worked with when they were little, they're now in their thirties and yeah. they'll look back. And they, they have perspective now as adults. And they said, wow, I was a little, uh, you know, troublemaker. I was doing all these things and I drove everyone crazy. And yet somehow in the midst of that, my Sunday school teacher, my pastor, my fill in the blank was patient with me and sat there and loved me. And now that's with them for the rest of their life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If we as leaders didn't feel the immense uh, just privilege and honor 
to serve in children's ministry like we do. Let the last, you know, just however much time we've been talking up until now, just reinforce that those that are listening, your role in the life of a child is critical. And I'm going to tell you just right now for a second, we have data um, in children's ministry and a new reality. It's a research project that we just released um, a, a couple months back. We polled children's ministry leaders and we asked, how important do you think your job is? Now we asked differently. I'm just summarizing here for this conversation. Like how influential do you think that you are in the life of the child and children's ministry leader? Do you know how you rated yourself? You rated yourself in like the bottom three. Oh, and I'm wow. here to tell you right now that that's just not true. Exactly. And I want to put that mark in the ground yes. that you are the loving, caring adult yes. in the life of that child. And you give them opportunity, as Robert just stated, to give them a space that they can look back and say, man, I gave that teacher a run for their money. <laughs> and they just... They smiled and they walked alongside with me, or maybe they Sorry. ran, but they were with me every step of the way. And they helped me to see the love of Christ in a way I couldn't have done if they hadn't been running, literally running with me. So I just want to just like mm. really hit that point. Like, I think sometimes, unfortunately, there's this this idea that the children's ministry, again, you're babysitting the kids so that the grownups can learn about Jesus. Yes. Uh, yes. Which we know is just a hundred percent not true at all. Yep. And I don't know if there are some leaders out there that feel like, um, what can they accomplish in like 45 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour and a half, however long they have with that child, depending on their role in the children's ministry. And the fact is, I spend 45, 50 minutes with kids once a week and that investment in relationship, working with them, hearing, like just being with them is so healing. Relationship is the trauma informed strategy. And so knowing that, yes, it's a short period of time, but oh man, is it life changing? It matters. It matters. That that was the very front end of our research, you know, 10 years ago. And these were basic questions we're asking through a scientific lens. And we we're looking at, you know, relationships at church and connecting this to different developmental outcomes. And we were statistically, without getting too technical, but we were adjusting for the relationships at home and the, and the, the faith at home. Because people will say, well, if a young child, it's about the parents, it's about the faith practices in the home, the church is sort of ancillary. And what we see over time as a child develops, the church begins to take a bigger, bigger role. Um, first with adults. So as the child gets into the preteen years, eight, nine, 10, these adult influences at church begin to you know, become just as if not more important to the child in their faith development. Mm -hmm. And then the peers, uh, as you get towards the end of the preteen years, into the teen years, you see these relationships and these influences mm -hmm. having profound importance. Um, and this is connected to the, the technical term is pro-social behavior, but in the church, we talk about the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. So we, we have research on uh, children's ministry models, integrating relationship, mm -hmm. and then actually seeing measurable changes in child behavior over time. The uh, self-esteem, the way the child sees themselves, their sense of self-worth, just do I matter? Am I, you know, do I matter in God's eyes? Mm -hmm. And um, we see that, we see shifts in that as well. Um, there's a couple other outcomes that I'm, I'm spacing right now, but these really important developmental shifts that are measurable, observable to say, yes, the question is how, how do we facilitate this? It's not, can we, or, or, or in my mind, even should we, but how we, yeah. it matter. I mean, we, we, we do small group development 
and we help we help churches develop small group programs where kids can be heard and kids can be ministered to and you know we say let's give the kid at least two or three minutes of our undivided attention and for so many children that is the only two or three minutes in their week where people an adult in particular stops and gives them their undivided attention and cares there's no judgment there's no they have don't have to worry about kids making fun of them and and kids will spend the whole week thinking what am i going to say during my two minutes or i i have a place to talk about this and even for younger kids oftentimes this is this is the first place they share mm-hmm. and we'll talk you know we, we try to get to a place where they can share with parents but often not once in a while often you've got a nine-year-old saying this is the first time i've shared this i don't i don't really i'm scared to tell my parents and we can walk with them in that direction but it's 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 so important it's not proportionate to the amount of time they spend at church versus exactly. in school or at home it just doesn't work that way it doesn't it's like i just mm, i feel so strongly what about that the, yeah i appreciate the call out of like let's let's one right size who is discipling the child and the truth is the fact that yes, parents are doing that, church leaders are doing it, and and they are being influenced at school too. But but let's not forget that just because you only have a certain amount of time per week doesn't mean that what you're doing is in vain. It right. is just as important. And if anything, leaders, it's it's the motivation for you to connect what it looks like for you to equip the parents too. Because like if we can if we can understand who's influenced in the life of the child and we identify who those relationships are, then we can then maximize our influence and impact because we realize that we are all in this together. And no, I did not intentionally mean to quote any sort of um, song there that anybody who grew up in the in the era that I did would sing, but let's just move on. We are all in this together. We are. And <laughs> high school musical, anybody? I am um, singing it and, in my head. <laughs> okay, great. So like, but the truth is like, like our influence is working together and it's just as important regardless of the amount of time that you have, because like you said, Robert, there is going to be things that they say to you and um, that you might like realize that they're like, they've never said that to anybody. And it's like, well, why me? Like, here's the truth. Like, don't ask why me, just let that be an opportunity to then help them connect to what they need by getting them just acknowledging, like, thank you for sharing that with me. Mm -hmm. That must have been so hard. And then even like, who else have you told this to, Mm -hmm. you know, and trying to connect that child to then um, external help and what they need. And so I guess that presents a really important piece, which is that we as leaders can say, okay, this is all really important. But then often we have entire teams that we have to equip because we're not in every small group. We are not in every large group. So how do you, um, how do you develop teams and how do you help them to be a trauma informed ministry? Well, have we got the solution for you? (laughs) Good news. Great. Great news. So this has been the the logical progression that's been happening for a while. So people will get their hands on the book. And the book is written for ministry leaders. Um, That's that's the intention. You see that language in the book. Lots of people who are not children's ministry leaders have read and benefited from this book. So I wouldn't mean for it to be exclusive to that. But that's the intended audience. And then it's, okay, yes, I'm bought in. And there's some practical, a a ton of practical things. But usually the touch point is the volunteer, unless your ministry is so small that you're the main person working with them, but usually that touch points, the volunteers. And if they're not on the same page, 
they don't have the same, they don't have the skills because intentions are not enough. You could have the most loving person. Good. Start there. Right. But that will not cut it. Yes. Then you're not going to be successful. Yeah. And so, uh, and also the volunteers are typically not as invested in the work as you are. It's your job and they probably have some other job. So they may not stop and read the entire book. It's, it's a lot to ask. So what we did is we created what we call the Reach Hurting Kids Workshop. So what this is, is a four part workshop. There's four modules and each module takes about 75 minutes. So Lori and I, we have other team members used to go to churches and present these. And so we're essentially equipping the team really, really quickly. It got out of hand. We couldn't keep up because we have other you know, jobs we're doing. We've got kids. We can't just go to churches all the time. Um, so we thought, well, well, how can we make this accessible to anyone? So what we have is a self-guided curriculum. So it's the same materials, the same program that we use. We go to conferences and lead these. So if you go to if you go to any large children's ministry conference, we'll be there doing these. And and but you can create the same experience for your people. And so there's a manual that has word by word. It's, it's kind of like you would see in a children's ministry curriculum, like maybe the, the teaching curriculum or VBS curriculum. So in bold is what you, you know, what you say in italics is the instructions. And then there's a presentation that has the, the, the images you need. It's in PowerPoint format. You just stream it. There's uh, videos. So there's professionally produced animated videos that have case studies, that have stories, examples. There's the science in there, but it's, it's very emotional and it helps cast a vision for what these volunteers and staff members can be part of. Yeah. And so uh, you have a workbook. So you print these out and everyone gets a workbook. And then there's activities. So you get, here's some instructions and usually get a couple of things that are not expensive or hard to find. Like for this activity, you need some stickers. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Crazy. I think our supply closets all have stickers in them. Exactly, right? Pretty <laughs> much what you would need from a yeah. you know, Most churches would have this. And there'd be ways to, yeah. be ways to adapt this, even if you weren't under-resourced, which some churches are. Um, so then you, our recommendation is that Sunday, you tell people a month ahead of time, hey, we're going to do a training event with our team. Uh, stay after church. We're going to give you food, pizza, sandwiches, childcare for their kids. Don't have them stress about that. And then you eat with them. And then you take 75 minutes to walk them through this. And we would do, we would recommend doing one at a time about every three months, roughly you know, fill out the team. So the first one is called uh, how trauma affects the kids we love and what to do about it. Okay. So this hits the basic understanding of what trauma is, how common it is, what it looks like in the church. And, and then, um, gives them a vision for how much influence and healing power the church can have, mm -hmm. gets them excited, and then sets up a framework for that. So there's some practical case studies where you go in and here's how, you know, if I have this kid, this kid's doing this, how can I infer what the underlying feelings might be? What are interventions we could use? So that's our first one. And that's followed up with the second one that's all based on discipline. And it walks through, let's start with the environment. That's where the checklist is. How do we check and see, is it safe? Do the child feel regulated? And so you walk through adjustments you can make to your ministry area. Then it gets into relationship. You have some <clears throat> a systematic way of looking at that. Here's strategies for building relationship. And then it gets into the calm care coach. And they're specific. So we gave you a flyover. So here's a specific breathing technique. Here's a specific way of talking to the child. Here's principles for coaching. Um, here's language to use when, when going through the care stages. And then again, case studies where they could apply it. So here's a situation. How do we apply this? How do we apply this? How do we apply this? So those two together, we got to test out in a research study. 
and the churches that use these, the the volunteers, the staff were more able to handle those behaviors. So mm -hmm. they had a reduction in problem behaviors. They felt more equipped. Um, the kids felt more connected. So there was actually a measurable change yeah. in what was happening. So it's research-based, evidence-based. Um, and then we have one that focuses on small group and one we have that focuses on um, teaching. So how would trauma affect teaching and how could we overcome those challenges? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you weren't kidding. When you said, boy, do we have the solution we for do, you. We do, right? I'm thrilled. I'm not excited about it or anything. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just thrilled that that exists. And so if if you're listening yes. and you think that that would be helpful, I, I just want to urge you to go plan to make this happen. Um, I'd even urge you even farther to say that if you're like, hey, I'm actually at like my budget's limit. We don't have anything till next year. This is critical enough that you need to go to your senior leadership team and ask, Hey, is there any way that we could have like a special allotment of something? Because this is something that our church needs in order for us to effectively disciple the children in our ministry. Thank you for creating that. I am. Yeah. I love that. Um, you two are, are so clearly such a gifted pair in the ways that you complement mm -hmm. each other. Like mm -hmm. it looks like obviously Robert, you're the one who's got so much of the data again, Lori, not that you're removed from that, but like you're creating the no, surveys <laughs> you're getting all the you're getting all the feedback you're like doing the data and then there's such this beautiful relational heart Lori that you have which is that then you take that and you just say like hey these kids more than anything need the love of Christ and that's what we want to accomplish here so I I I have one final question. Um, there are often leaders who heard all the things that I just said and they said, you know, Mal, that's cute, but like, I don't even have a budget. I'm not paid as a leader. Yeah. And this is just, it feels really, this whole thing feels really inaccessible to me because I can't implement any of these things. And so I would ask if there was only one thing that a leader had capacity to do in order to help create that trauma-informed experience that a child feels connected and they feel valuable and that they belong, what would that be? Relationship building. Yeah. Like get on the floor and play with the kids. Like invest in that time with them, the uninterrupted time, just like sitting down, build Legos you know, during playtime, you know, shoot the basketball hoop, whatever that is, but mm -hmm. really invest in that relationship. Mm -hmm. I think, again, relationship is the trauma-informed strategy. And we all, yeah, that's something yeah. we can all do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'll be the one who says the second thing is, um, friend, you need to go buy this book. This, okay. this book. Yes. This book I, is, allowed, I didn't think I was allowed to say that. I, like, I'm going to say it for you. It'll, it'll have all the um, stuff. Most of it's you stuff is to go, yeah. yeah, you need to go buy this book. This is where they so beautifully um, take all of these concepts and they've, they've split the book into two where it's like, let's talk about the theory. And then the bulk of the book, to be honest, I think it was only three chapters that were on three theory. The rest of it is all deeply practical. And how do I help a child worship? How do I bring them into play? How do I bring them into small group? And so this one book is almost like, 
an entire resource in and of itself that will change the way that you connect with children in your ministry. So Robert and Lori, thank you from the bottom of my heart for what it looks like for you to create resources like this that build the kingdom, because we don't want to believe that we are all working towards this kingdom building of what it, it looks like for Jesus to renew and restore his people. And this is such a critical part of that. So thank you for your commitment to him and for using your gifts to better the greatest in our ministries, which are at the children. The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.